So, Rachel? Yeah? Bajor's fifth moon, Gerardo, must be evacuated to make way for a much-needed power plant for the home planet. But one old codger refuses to evacuate. Mm. What do you think you're going to get? They can't be persuaded with incentives or the thought of benefiting others. It might be an anti-tech guy. Mm -hmm. Odo will get involved in convincing them, let's say. He could easily make it seem haunted and get them out that way, but he wouldn't. (laughs) We'll all feel a bit uncomfortable with the solution. That's my guess. All right. Star Trek! Thought I told you to cancel that order. Now, what am I supposed to do with 5,000 rappages of Cardassian yamak sauce? They're the only ones who could stomach that swill. Hey, Nolder, are you gonna play or what? You ordered it. You're going to pay for it. I'm going to take half your paycheck every week for the next six years. From now on, no more Cardassian food in here. Ever. Come on, Nog, it's your turn. 5,000 ravages. That's a lot of yamak sauce. Look, either take your turn or I win. It'd be a shame to let it go to waste. That's it. Game over. Jake. I'm getting that tingling in the lobes. And when a lobe tingles, it means only one thing. Opportunity. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey. And this week we are covering the episode of Deep Space Nine called... Progress. Written by Peter Allen Fields, writer of TNG's Half a Life, Cost of Living, and of course, The Inner Light. Ah, no surprise there. You can see him all over it, can't you? Directed by our old pal, Les Landau. This is his first Deep Space Nine episode. So this whole situation, it's like that farmer on the M62 up here in the north of England. There's a motorway just going either side of a small strip of farm because he would refuse to give up his land. That turned out to be not true. What? That is an urban myth that has come up around that farm. That is not the case at all. Well, why is it there then? It was that was how it was planned. The farmer they sold he sold the land on either side of it, but wanted to keep the house. They said okay. Hmm. Yeah. It wasn't nobody forced anybody to do anything. Look it up. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. As somebody that drives on it fairly often, I can understand why people would think that that's what happened because it's yeah. so bizarre. Yeah. Why would anybody want to live between the one direction and the other of a freeway? Yeah. Couldn't be bothered to move. Let's get into the story. Well, Nog's lobes are tingling, and that means only one thing opportunity. And that means he's taking Jake with him on a B plot journey. <laughs> but first, the A plot. With the help of the Federation, Bajor is about to commence its first large scale energy transfer the tapping of the molten core of its fifth moon. Whoa. Just going to use thermal energy. I got a lot of questions about the science behind this episode because it mm. doesn't make a lot of sense, especially <laughs> that they're willing to basically kill all life on this moon mm, just for a bit of free energy. For like, they go, oh, this is going to help hundreds of thousands of Bajorans, and I'm like, and that's worth destroying an entire ecosystem. 
that's mm. probably been there for millions of years. Oh, yes. Habitable moon. A habitable moon. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Hmm. And also uh, gravity is another thing. So Bajor has got a moon that is of equal size as Bajor. Huh? Bajor would have, if it's bigger than this moon, this yeah. moon would have super light gravity. Right. So it must be the same size. And if it's the same size, then it can't be a moon. It would be hmm. two planets that orbit one another. Hmm. Does that happen very often? I don't think so. I've got a lot of questions here that they just sort of gloss over. Yeah, wow. To orbit, one thing has to be, I believe, I could be wrong about this, has to be of a smaller mass than the thing that it orbits. Well, as far as we know, they all are. Yeah. Can't wait till they fully dig into these concepts then. (laughs) In Ops, Minister Toran of the Bajoran government is anxiously looking over the preparations for the energy transfer, micromanaging the heck out of it. So the energy is going to heat a few hundred thousand Bajoran homes this winter. Are they having an energy crisis like us or are they just trying to save money? A few hundred thousand? Yeah. It's ridiculously small amount of people. Well, it depends how many there are on Bajor. That might be a lot to them. You don't think it's worth no. destroying a whole moon? No, <laughs> I do not. Habitable. A habitable moon <laughs> yeah. with an entire ecosystem. Mm. And it's a one-off as well, isn't it, presumably? Well, I assume that's going to, every year it's going to provide energy, but... Maybe. I think the writers thought, well, since it's a space show, we can't just have it be a small patch of land on Bajor that they're going to convert into this thing and this guy mm. has to move away. Yeah. We got to make it a moon. And then it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. I didn't mind. I do. Kira and Dax hop on a runabout to inspect the moon. Dax is telling Kira that smooth talker Morn, you know, the guy that never talks on the show. Oh, right. Asked her out for dinner and she picks up a life sign on the moon. Kira beams down to check it out. Kira finds herself outside of a lovely cottage with a vegetable patch and a water pump. Bajor's equivalent to the couple from American Gothic painting jump out and point pitchforks at her throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the lighting is so lovely. It's very short-leave. Everything's glimmering and shining in the sunlight. An older man leaning in the doorframe speaks up. They've had enough of uniformed bullies. Kira points out she's no Cardassian, and the man takes a liking to her. Pretty eyes like yours deserve a meal. She's obviously got a challenge on her hands, hasn't she? He's very charming, a little bit patronizing slash sexist, and just as stubborn as she is. He's Mullybock, and the two farmhands are Keena and Baltrim. Mullybock's played by Brian Keith, with a career starting in 1924's Pied Piper Malone at just three years old. Wow. He's probably best known as Uncle Bill in A Family Affair. Ah, that's who he is. Gosh, he was so familiar to me. Jake Kanag have found a captain who trades with the Cardassians and offers him yummock sauce for five bars of latinum. He has not enough money to buy them, but he can trade them 100 self-sealing stem bolts. Try saying that with Ferengi teeth in. Oh, oh, gee A lot of times in this episode. Which someone had ordered but couldn't pay for. Now they just need to get their hands on the yummock sauce. (laughs) I wonder what it's like, this yamak sauce. I'm visualizing it's like teriyaki sauce or something, a bit thick. Oh, I was thinking more like a chutney. Oh. I don't know why. (laughs) Don't know why. It's strange how you just visualize it. We cut to the Bajoran Anthony Hopkins, Molly Bock, preparing a meal of roots. Nice kitchen. Bountiful harvest. Yeah. Kira tells Dax to head back to Deep Space Nine. She'll have one of the thermologists bring her back. The woman who was wielding the pitchfork before comes up to help with the prep. You don't talk much, Kira says. They don't talk at all. The Cardassians took care of that. Oh, man. wonder why. What, had they been speaking up on in the resistance, maybe? Maybe. They escaped to this moon 18 years ago, and he's been here for 40. Mullybock comments on Kira's bum, 
and says she walks like a carnivorous rastipod. It's hard because he's likable, but then he's being kind of pervy and... He's being sexist and yeah. demeaning. Yeah. Intentionally trying to upset her, which she Turns calls out. out. You're trying to make me mad. How am I doing? Not well enough to get rid of me. Damn. <sighs> well, what do they call you, dear? I'm Major Kira. I'm in charge of evacuating all... Your given name. Narice. Narice. Well, Narice, I'm Mullabach, and these roots are really going to take three hours to cook, so you might as well just sit down and relax yourself, child. It's going to be tasty. <laughs> yeah, do you think that is a little joke? What do they call you, dear? Because everyone knows she looks like a deer. <laughs> <laughs> she got them big doe eyes. Yeah. Sure and does. The color of her outfit. Mm, yeah. Which is a magical outfit, as we'll discover later. It is magical. <laughs> Back on Deep Space Nine, Nog's problem is instantly solved when Quark tells him to get rid of the yamak sauce. It's supper time on the Bajor moon. Millibach is telling a tale about how he came to be there. He stowed away on a Cardassian survey vessel and overpowered a crew of six. He <laughs> was lucky there were so few, as he was weak from starvation. <laughs> Millibach knew he had to plant some crops to survive, but he had no farm tools, so he had to plow the fields with his fingernails and chew up all the rocks with his teeth. They got great chemistry, these two. Oh, yeah. And I thoroughly enjoyed their interactions. We get this. What I'm telling you, Major, I tamed this place. Me. I believe you. You look like a bit of a fighter yourself. Well, on Bajor, we had to be. To get rid of the Cardassians, huh? Mindless butchers. We paid them back. I bet you did. They probably didn't know what hit them. I'm sorry I missed the fun fun. Must have been like spearing can dippers in a bottle. Wait a minute, are you serious? You know what the Cardassians were like, what weapons they had. We didn't stand a chance against them. How'd you beat them then? Well, we beat them because... Because we hung on like fanatics. Hung on like fanatics. I remember that. She follows him to a part-built kiln. There's a lot of tile adhesive in this episode. And, and in my opinion, they're not putting enough adhesive on. And they haven't even put any grout in. It's not going to last, especially outdoors. Uh, yes. Kira warns him that the atmosphere will be unbreathable once they crack the moon open. And he's kind of fiddling as Rome burns, as it were, mm -hmm. building this kiln, isn't he? But he's obviously planning to stay. The Cardassians probably told you you couldn't win. Did you surrender? No, Kira confirms. Then why do you expect me to? Let them crack open the moon. I'll be here. I'll tell them, Kira says. Back on Deep Space Nine, Nog and Jake are inspecting the new stem bolts when O'Brien finds them. I I'm not sure what this scene is supposed to be other than comic relief or mm. establishing that nobody knows what these bolts are used for. Yeah. I think it's nuts that Deep Space Nine doesn't have the equivalent of the internet. Well, exactly. <laughs> Which would have come in handy several times during this B-plot. It's just preposterous that yeah. there's no database for them to go into and go... What could these possibly be? Computer, what are self-sealing stem bolts? It's pretty nuts. Yep. Nog has a brainwave. The person who ordered them in the first place must know what they are. 
and his details are on the shipping codes. He couldn't afford to pay for them, but maybe they could offer them at a discount. <laughs> Kira gets back to the station and goes to see Cisco and Minister Torin to explain about Molobok. If he and his friends won't leave voluntarily, they'll have to beam them off the surface. So we're just going to act like Cardassians then, Kira challenges. Not quite the same, but okay. Back on the moon, Kira sends two security officers to find Kina and Baltram while she deals with Mullabuck. But he just carries on building his kiln, and we get this. I promise you, it won't be so bad. You can plant whatever you want to on Bajor. Stay by yourself if you want to. That's fine. Take some seeds with you for those terrible roots of yours I had to eat. Just listen to reason. Listen to yourself, Major. Tell me what you hear. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you sound like a two-headed Malgorian I knew when I was a boy. You ever try to talk to a two-headed Malgorian? This is no time for one of your stories. So the thing with two-headed Malgorians is it, it can never figure out what it really wants to do, and that can be very confusing, believe me. You know, eventually you're going to have to stop talking and deal with this. And the trouble with my Malgorian friend was he had all kinds of problems, and he couldn't decide how to solve them, so he'd always come running to me. So I could solve them for him, isn't there? Malabak. You know what I finally said to that Malgorian? I said, fellas, deal with it yourselves. Hmm? <laughs> Fine. I'll pack your things myself. Major! They're crazy! This man just stuck me with a bomb implement, and she attacked me from behind! Let her go! Stop! Mullibok is strangling a dude and gets phasered, which yeah. seems quite harsh. Brutal. Jake and Nog contact the original buyer of the stem bolts. Nog messes with the signal so he can't see that he's talking to two teenagers. <laughs> and can't tell by their voices, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Nog barters himself down from five bars of latinum to three. <laughs> yeah, he just <laughs> goes five. <laughs> okay, four. Okay, three. This guy doesn't have any land up. He says, what about a trade? I can give you seven tessipates of land on Bajor. Who knows what the heck a tessipate is? Yeah, it could be inch, square inches. Yeah. Jake convinces Nog to accept the deal. Bashir finished treating the injured Mullabuck. Kina and Beltram have been evacuated to Bajor. They'll take Mullabuck to the station and nope, he's still refusing to leave. No, of course he is. We don't know what happened to him back there, do we? No. And also he's made a life for himself here. Nurtured the land with his teeth and his fingernails. He's, yeah. he's not going anywhere. Taking off her jacket to reveal boob-high pants and a white blouse, just like Ro did back yeah. in TNG. Took off what was a jumpsuit yeah, as a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> or two jackets as one jacket that has no zip down the front. Who knows how it worked, but it did. It's advanced technology. Uh, yeah, <laughs> very cool. She looks more vulnerable now. She's pitching in. She's more on his level now, I suppose, that she's out of her uniform. And she looks hotter, which is obviously part of the, if not most of the point. 
I don't think it is the point. No? No. And I I don't know. I just don't find her attractive. Hmm. She's pretty. I, and uh, she's very charming. And, and when she, you know, takes off her jacket and you can see her boobs, I'm not thinking like, oh, yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> well, who else out there was thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kira says she'll look after him here. Just leave the medicine and instructions. And then she starts working on the kiln as well. Meanwhile, Bashir updates Cisco back on Deep Space Nine. Kira could lose her commission over this. What does that mean? Her job. Just yeah, she have to find out. another job on Bajor. So Cisco decides to tell Minister Torrin that she's remained on the moon on Bashir's orders. But sir, that isn't true. Make it true, Doctor. Now, please. Yikes. <laughs> He's gone rogue. In protection of her. It's just giving her some time. Yeah. To try and sort out the situation. Very commanding. He's awesome. Kira is angrily treating Mullabach's bruises. Mm. She remembers a big, ugly tree outside her window as a child. Its branches blocked the sun and its roots buried so deep nothing could grow there. It was annoying, greedy, selfish. Sounds like it had a lot of character, <laughs> Mullabach notes. Did you cut it down? I don't know yet, she says. <laughs> She's come out of the... Come out of the metaphor. Yeah. Cisco transports down to the cottage and tells Mullabuck that he's causing a lot of trouble. And Mullabuck is delighted. <laughs> Kira and Mullabuck bicker back and forth before he leaves her to speak with Cisco. I can see why you like him. What can I do for you, Commander? You and I have a material subsistence report to finish by the end of the week. I don't think I'm going to be able to help you with that. It's part of the liaison officer's job. I know. I don't like the prospect of having to break in a new one. You have a job to do here, Major, and you're not doing it. It's not that simple. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm saying it can't wait. Look, I understand you used to sympathizing with the underdog. You spent your life fighting to overcome impossible odds, just like he's doing. But you have to realize something, Major. You're on the other side now. Pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? It's awful. I first met you, Major. I thought you were hostile and arrogant. But I was wrong. Bajor needs you. And I need you. I like you. And I don't want you to be hurt. So, as a friend, I'm here to remind you that his fate is already decided. Yours isn't. Nice. Nicely delivered dialogue there. Mm. And emotional as well. Yeah. Having to do the thing you've promised, or the thing that's your job, even if it doesn't feel right or really swayed another way. Well, and Cisco's making himself very vulnerable here, too. You know, he's, I'm your commanding officer, but I care about you, and mm -hmm. I think you're important, not yeah. just to Bajor, but to me. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. Cut to the night. Kira's sleeping in the chair. Oh, for goodness sake, oh go God. on the floor. Who can sleep in a wooden chair? She's woken by a feverish mullibok talking in his sleep. She gives him a hypo spray and puts a wet flannel on his head. And we hear him mutter, no, you're hurting her. Let go, Lucilla. Get your hands off me. They must have been through some awful 
trauma. Might have been his wife was killed by the Cardassians. Yeah, maybe. He wakes and Kira tells him he had a bad dream. And, And the actor, or Les, have decided to do it in a very understated way. So he's not shouting out in, in fear in his dream. He's just saying it, kind of mumbling it. Yeah. But I think that works better because the words speak for themselves, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wakes and Kira tells him he had a bad dream, bad memories. He corrects her. I didn't say anything, did I? No, she lies. In Quark's, Jake and Og argue over whether the land is useless when conveniently and improbably. Yeah, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> Odo and Quark walk by. There's a strip of land where the Bajoran government needs to build a new reclamation facility. He tells Odo that he'll find out who actually owns this place because somebody bought it. This consortium that they, the little guys have set up. Yes. Uh, Nog is thrilled to creep up on Quark with a business opportunity. <laughs> it's morning back on the moon and Kira's woken by a noise. It's Mullibok finishing off the kiln. She kindly helps him put on the last tile and then gets ready to burn the whole thing to the ground (laughs) and phaser it. It really is a rad kiln, though. It is. Really, really nice. She comes out with a packed bag and a bedroll. She earlier said she'd pack for him. She also has work to finish. I could use a friend on Bajor. I'd like that to be you, she tells him. As long as that cottage is standing, I stay here. So she pulls out her phaser and blows up the kiln. I'm saving your life, she says. Then she lights a torch and sets the cottage ablaze. And very sadly, it's made from highly flammable concrete, TM. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost as though the wood beams as well have been soaked with lighter fluid. Yes. But it goes up very satisfyingly. Strangely, he does nothing to stop her or to put it out. Maybe he knows on some level that he has to go. and He knows. Mm. There's nothing he's going to do. You know, what's he going to do? Is he going to make her kill him? Mm. She won't kill him. He'll get phasered. He'll get taken. Well, he kind of wants that. There's there's nothing that he's going to be able to do. And we end with this. So you chose your uniform over me, after all? That's not true. The time I've spent here with you has meant so much to me. But it's over. It's time we went on with our lives, mine and yours. You say you're my friend. Prove it. Use that weapon on me. I can't. If I leave here, I'll die. No, you won't. I won't let you. Two to beam up. So a very morally ambiguous yeah. episode. Mm, I don't know how it fully ends. Yeah, there's no addressing this character ever again, as far as I understand. Mm, he's an adult. He has mental capacity, but she's decided to choose for him how how his life will progress. He wants to stay there and die. Well, he's willing to kill himself. I mean, he can always kill himself some other time, but maybe once he gets mm. off the planet, he'll go, well, this isn't so bad. And yeah. It's nice being around other Bajorans and seeing Bajor not under the tyranny mm-hmm. of the Cardassians. And, yeah. And he's not giving it a chance and he's stuck in his ways. And yeah. she's hoping, and I guess that's what this is about, hoping that he will see the opportunity that he's being presented and not see it as uh, something that's terrible. I mean, we're already talking concepts. Let's do it. So yikes, that's her job. And it's painful to have to enforce, especially when they've both been through Cardassian occupation and trauma and she likes him personally Mm -hmm. i think even to leave him to die would have gone less against her morality than forcing him to come away but then again she was so tied to him emotionally she couldn't stand to see him 
No. Die? I don't. Yeah, I, I think she couldn't let him just die. Yeah, it's not like she was giving him to the Cardassians no. or anything. The problem is the institution is bigger than her. Mm-hmm. So what is she going to do? Someone's going to take him. If she doesn't, she'll get fired from her job. And this is what Cisco was saying. They'll find somebody else to do it. Yeah. And they'll just beam him off the planet. Why did she have to blow up his kiln and burn his house? Was it so that he could then say to people, well, they did that to me, so I had to leave. And no, I had nothing I, to stay for. If I destroy it now, it doesn't matter. It's going to be destroyed in a, a few weeks' time. Mm-hmm. With you or without you. So come now while you can. Yeah. And just look. It, it doesn't mean anything. This is a place you built... It's still a thing. But look, it's gone. So what? You're still you. You still have all your memories. You still have all these things. You still have these opportunities. Yikes. Don't give up. But he had to see it all be burned down in front of his eyes. Everything he created. Is that, maybe that is more closure. I don't know. Than thinking that he left it all behind. And he knew that it was going to happen the whole time. Even though he was building that kiln, he knew it was inevitable. And this was a war. He wasn't going to win. And he's not dying yet. He's still got life to live. Yeah. If someone wants to die in their own home, do you phaser their home and then take them to the hospital? <laughs> Should people be allowed to just die on their own? Should suicide be permitted? Mm. Attempted suicide, obviously, you will be uh, treated and they sometimes will take extreme measures to try and protect you. Right? Where's the line between autonomy and protection? Well, life is sacred, obviously, in our society because somebody's having a hard time in a moment to think that they would give up everything that they have, their life, for something that passes. May pass, may Or may pass or pass. may not pass. But mm-hmm. here's, the, here's the thing. Once you make that decision, it's made. It's always, in my opinion, best to stick around and see if things get better. In most people's experience, they always get better. Yeah. Occasionally, would, some people don't. It would be pretty rad if she could work with him because they've got a great rapport. A lot of great concept stuff here. This is A-plus Star Trek stuff for me. Yeah, apart from the moon stuff. Tap in the molten core of the moon then for energy to power hundreds of thousands of homes. And they're a selfish trio for stopping the progress, you know, is maybe one viewpoint. Oh, absolutely. But then when we meet him, he's not just stubborn, but he is this place. And he's this rich and convincing character, totally winning and can really see his perspective as well. True. He talks Kira around more than she talks him around, Mm -hmm. but she's stuck between a rock and a hard place with Cisco and the whole system. And Cisco's under pressure from Bejar too, and also to make sure that he keeps Kira around. Mm-hmm. And then we had Mullibok comparing the evacuation with what the Cardassians did to the Bajorans and his resistance to it with the Bajorans' determination back then. And that's one of the ways that he can kind yeah. of gets through to Kira. Right. There's no happy ending, really. No. No being convinced, no compromise. Nope. Just a rush process to save his life. And a harsh one and an uncomfortable feeling at the end, which is rich writing. Memory Alpha notes the similarities between this episode and TNG's season three. The Ensigns of Command, that's the one where Data ends up destroying the viaduct at the end to convince the colonists to leave. Oh, right, yeah. He was the only one that could come down to the planet and they're just like, we're not going to leave. And and he's going, these warships will come up and they're going to kill everybody. Mm. you got to leave. He goes, we'll fight them, we'll fight them. And then Data just goes, okay. And he takes his phaser and just blasts everything. And he goes, yeah, look. I'm one dude with a phaser. Right. There are going to be hundreds of them with rifles and spaceships from orbit. You yeah. don't stand a chance. Yeah. That episode. And yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Cruel to be kind. But it's a little different here because I don't think Mullabuck has any delusions about what's going on. He mm. understands the situation completely and just doesn't want to live anywhere else. And I think Kira is 
forcing him to give somewhere else a chance. Mm. He's had so much unhappiness back on Bejar and yeah. he's never been happier or more in control than he is on this moon. We don't really get anything about how this policy came to be and how much resistance there's been to this moon yeah. decision. But things like this have happened in, on Earth and always happen where somebody's land becomes important and they have to either work around it or in the United States, I think some places you have to give up your land if the government forces you to. Mm. It's possible. They'll compensate you, but... Mm, but force you out. But still force you out. Yeah. Projects making people's homelands toxic or yeah. look at deforestation. All right. Or the oil pipelines that have been going through lands causing problems mm. in, in the United States. On concepts, I'm going to give this one an eight. Yeah, I think eight as well. It would have been higher if it made more sense about the moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Entertainment. Rick Berman thought this episode turned out well. Writer Peter Allen Fields was less happy. I wanted a strong guy who did not change at the end. There are too many old guys in television dramas who start out nasty and then get meek and gentle at the end. He's less of an adversary than he ought to have been. He was less of a mountain for Kira to climb. Hmm, disagree. I, I totally disagree. It was great that he was so winning from the beginning. Yeah. Complex, troublesome, but still... Yeah, he was freaking choking that dude out. and Yeah. And what's he going to do? Is he going to choke out Kira? And then to what end? And mm, Yeah, you know. I mean, he did roll over at the end. I didn't like that. But the way that he was with her, I thought was really interesting. A tussle that wasn't about him dominating her. I can see him being an old man, being okay with strangling a dude. But mm. no way is he going to choke out Kira, who felt like he saw like a daughter. AV Club's Zach Handlin called the episode a terrific hour of television. The story's affecting, smart, and moves in unexpected ways, offering opportunities for characters and relationships to develop. And we get a B-plot which manages to be both funny and, no joke, heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best uh, Nog storyline, so Nog and yeah. Jake, that we've yeah. had. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. He praised Visitor and Keith's chemistry and particularly liked that the episode ended on a down note. Without giving us a, comf a comforting final thought from Cisco or Dax and no sense that Kira is happy with what she's done, it's, the ki it's this kind of uncertainty that leads to great art and having it become an integral part of the show's texture means this episode more than lives up to its name. Its name being Progress. Agreed. We're in season one of the show and compared to season one of Next Gen, holy cow. Oh. <laughs> holy cow. Is this, this is great television. And they could easily have had a little button on the end that was Nog and Jake or something, you know. Or, or, or Kira just reflecting on sh showing that he was starting to enjoy his new life on Bejar or that he might or there was some hope. Yeah. But no. No. Just left us with the discomfort of it. Tor.com said, holy crap, does Brian Keith knock it out of the park? Playing Mollybock's charm and yes, manipulation beautifully. Making Mollybock a charmingly cantankerous old geezer makes it that much harder for Kira to make the decision that Cisco forces her to realise she has to make. He also thought Avery Brooks, though not in this episode much, delivered the heart and soul of the show with his speech at the kiln, keeping it subtle yet intense, and rated the episode Warp Factor 9. Really nice episode for me. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. And it just had that feeling of one of the quality episodes, focusing in on one relationship, one of whom we know, and another new character. Yeah. Beautifully written and shot, gave it some space to breathe. I'm giving it an 8.5. I'm going to do you one better in nine. All right. I don't think it gets much better than this. And I just always like having that little buffer of 10 because there's a few 10 episodes. Yeah. This isn't a 10. And the Jake and Nog stuff was good for, for Jake and Nog stuff. For Jake and Nog stuff. Exactly. But you know, it's not, don't make for a 10 out of 10 episode. No, it? it's not a 10 out of 10. It's a nine. A solid All nine. All right. Sexiness. 
I'll give it a four for the high trousers and the blouse. <laughs> and the teenagers didn't do anything creepy the whole time they were on screen. That's true. How long since an episode's passed the Bechdel test, though? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even when Kira and Dax were talking, that, that was about a guy. It was, yeah. yeah. I'll give it a three. Okay. Stupid experts? The moon thing, surely, but... Stupid experts is when they should know something that they don't know. So well, like they if should I'm, know better. They should know better. Like, I'm the head of security, yet I'm going to let all these people walk in. Or mm-hmm. I'm a science officer, and yet I'm going to take off my helmet when we walk into this boat. And this is a Bajoran initiative actually supported by the Federation rather than a Federation initiative. I think this moon thing. Right. So we I can't blame the Federation for this The writers so much. just didn't think about the whole idea of this is an ecosystem that's going to be destroyed. A whole planet-sized moon? Which, mm-hmm. again, doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, I thought they could have at least brought his veg with them. Or bring his house. <laughs> it can't be that hard. Can you beam a house? You could beam up portions of it. I mean, they moved castles from Europe to America. Whoa. That's happened. Whoa. Like brick by brick, they yeah. transport everything. Yeah, so they could They could have done that. Could have done all that. Recreate it. Yeah. Uh, not, I know it's not the same, but at least. Yeah. yeah. So just because so it didn't make sense, let's give it a one. Yeah, give it a one. Sense. Um, your guesses? I said the person couldn't be persuaded with incentives or the thought of benefiting others. She didn't really try incentives, I don't think. Well, she did say she'd give him a job or something like that. But mm. let's say yes anyway. An anti-tech guy? No, don't think so. No. I said Odo would get involved? No. no. And that we'd feel a bit uncomfortable with the solution? Yes. yes. For sure. Thank you so much to our producer, Rafe Ball, for all your hard work. Oh, and thank you all, patrons, you fabulous, fabulous people. Rafe is great. You're all great. Uh, Just thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!